0: Welcome back to another edition of the Great Lakes Divide with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. It's brought to you each and every week by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. The sounds of the godfather of soul, James Brown, bringing us in a special selection by our sponsor, Heather Freire. And again, the Record Lounge located South Washington, just south of I-496 in Lansing. She's hoping the Spartans can get up off of that mat and start fighting again. We'll talk about them, their matchup against Northwestern. They go on the road to Evanston. Some interesting comments from Mark D'Antonio in this week's press conference. It'll be a noon start Eastern time on ABC, but we'll save that for the end portion of this episode. We will start with the ranked teams going head-to-head in the number 11 Michigan Wolverines and the number 13 Wisconsin Badgers. That's also a noon start. It's on Fox locally, and it's a big-time game. And knowing this, quarterback Shea Patterson put it all on the line with this quote right here. We're
1: looking to go out there and make a statement. Uh, it's as simple as that. What's the statement? Uh, I don't it'll be. What you, I mean, yeah, I'm done talking. I'm
0: done talking about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, I just had fun with it. So, starting with that statement, we bring in Tom Crawford. Is he sending a message for his team? to his team, or for himself, Tom? How do you interpret that comment?
2: Well, I think it's for himself, but in, in reality, it's for the entire program. I mean, let's look at this thing, Ryan Shulian, about the Michigan football program. In a long, long time, they, cannot have, they don't have quality wins on the road. For as good as they are in college football, Ryan, they're, I think they're the worst road team in critical games. They can beat up on marginal talent on the road, or not beat up and survive like Indiana a number of times. But they can't get quality wins on the road. They haven't managed that. They beat a you know a marginal Michigan State team on it. You can't even count that in 16. So I think it's a statement for the program. I think he himself is frustrated with the fact he he's coughed up the football. He's trying to tape. He's you know he's carrying it to bed and all that bit, and he's got this these uh, these this abdominal strain. Um, so, I mean, he's challenging both, but I'm telling you what, the, 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 the bottom line, of the whole thing, it's time for the program, the Michigan program. And I'm just Jim Harbaugh, the program to get a, a, a high profile quality win.
0: Well, let's talk about that a little bit. We're going to jump around here, Tom, but that's what you and I do. Michigan has not won in Madison since 2001. It's been 18 years. They have lost four in a row there and in the last three, 07, 09, And two years ago in 2017, Tom, they have lost by an average margin of 17. What makes Camp Randall Stadium so difficult to play in? And I'm not talking about just the cliche way that everybody says, oh, it's really hard to play uh, at Penn State. It's hard to play at the Horseshoe in Columbus. It's hard to play at Iowa, at Nebraska. What specifically is the bugaboo for Michigan at Madison?
2: Well, I think. You know, I'll tell you what, good teams. I mean, uh, you, you know, you, you bounce some scenarios off there, um, you know, particularly in the, the Brady Hoke era and trickle into the Rich Rod era. They were just the inferior teams. And Wisconsin's a one hell of a program that punishes you. Um, and Michigan hasn't been able to to compete with them up there in Madison. Part of Matt, part of Camp Randall's situation is different than other teams. And maybe other teams should do this besides having this huge crowd and they have the fifth quarter and they, you know, they do the jump around and the whole bit, they amplify their crowd noise, which seems stupid. I mean, they have speakers uh, around, particularly around the, the visiting side that, that takes the crowd noise and doubles down on it. It's crazy. So I think that's part of it, but you know, come on, the beer drinking, you know, Badgers, I mean, no better example of combining academics and just, you know, flat-out party animals than the University of Wisconsin. They got that down to a science. The only good thing for Michigan, it's a 11 a.m. Central time kick. So maybe they'll just be hung over from the bar the night before.
0: <laughs> well, I've got some more good news for Wolverines fans. The record when both teams are ranked, Michigan leads at 8-2. to And in the last three matchups between these two teams, they've been ranked. This will be the fourth time in a row back in 2016. That was a win for Michigan in Ann Arbor. Tom might remember it. It was a low-scoring game, 14-7. to seven. They were both ranked yeah. two years ago. The Wolverines were 19. Wisconsin was 5. That was a 24-10 loss by the Wolverines in Madison. And then a year ago, the 15th-ranked Badgers came into Ann Arbor against Michigan, and the Wolverines pounded them to the tune of 38-13. So this has been Jekyll and Hyde. This has been largely dependent on when where the venue is. And now we've got Michigan ranked 11th, Wisconsin 13th, a quick look at the Badgers here. I mean, Tom, I don't know how much you can tell about a road win at South Florida and a home win over Central Michigan, but so far they have outscored their two opponents by a combined 110 to nothing. What do you read into that?
2: Well, I mean, I don't care if you're playing air. I mean, it's pretty impressive. And, and you know, Central's not a very good team. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Michigan's probably played a little bit tougher schedule with the Army in there, but both of them haven't been tested. They had the bye week. Um, I, the thing about Wisconsin is look, they lost four offensive linemen last year. They got four new guys in there. And this is the thing that I was cuddling up to in the off season. Well, I feel pretty good about this game on September 21st. I mean, Wisconsin's got to rebuild that line. They weren't all that good last year, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They got a great running back, but now all of a sudden this line, I mean, you when you see them on film, they are really, really good. And it just, it's just vintage Wisconsin. They just plug and play. So um, the reason, I mean, they run the freaking football. That's what they do. They got their smash mouth. You know, it'll stop us. They're not going to use deception. They're just going to knock in the mouth and, and, and play power football.
0: Let me ask you a two-part question here, Tom, and that is what concerns you most about this matchup, about this game, about this time of the season that Michigan draws the Badgers? And what encourages you the most about this matchup for Michigan?
2: Um, I I would say what encouraged me uh, encourages me uh, the most is what we heard today that um, and who knows how this is going to play out that Donovan Peoples Jones and John Running Jr. will be playing in the Wisconsin game. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, D.P.J. is first of all he runs back punts and he doesn't fumble. I mean that's huge, you know. And and he's the best receiver. So if you have their best receiver along with the other good receivers, Nico Collins, Tariq Black, uh, Ronnie Bell. Along with DPJ, you are really going to pose a threat to Wisconsin on what looks like to be a you know warm summer day. So it's all offensive looking. So I like the idea that it's in playing now and not in the you know in the wet snow of uh, in Madison of, of mid November, mm-hmm. but right now. So I like that aspect of it. And if Michigan is just flat out due, they are due. It's very similar to Michigan State is due. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Is due to beat Northwestern. Sometimes that it's it, you just that's how you judge things, and I think that the, the turnovers and the penalties have been emphasized uh, the last two weeks. They've been talking about that; that it was a a big deal. And so I, I think that the penalties are going to go down. And God, you know, I sure as hell hope the <laughs> turnovers go down. If you turn the ball over two or two plus or more, we talked about this on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, that's an L. Mm-hmm. There's no question in my mind.
0: So, what scares you the most about Wisconsin? What concerns you the most?
2: Uh, What concerns me is their ability to run the football. (laughs) Not to to be double down on my comment, but you know, because they do it every year. And yeah, this Michigan uh, defensive line, they're very quick. Um, But they're, you know, when it comes down to, you know, uh, mano mano, guys pounding on you, um, some young guys like Donovan Jeter, who hasn't even played yet, um, are going to have to step up. So some of them are going into fire right now. Mozzie Smith might be one of those, just because of physicality of Wisconsin, that they might use, you know, seven man rotation on that four man front.
0: Jonathan Taylor has combined for 237 yards in his first two games, so I'm right there with you that this is the guy Michigan has to hone in on. I you can't sell out entirely. I'm not sure you're going to see the eight man fronts that we knew they were going to do against Army, but a running back like Jonathan Taylor. This is a guy that conceivably could end up in New York as a Heisman finalist. What do you see in him as a running back and how does Michigan contain him?
2: Just a downhill kind of guy. I mean, you know, he's, 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 he's going northbound, southbound, whatever, whatever side of the field they're going. And, um, you know, Michigan has got to tackle well in the secondary and that's, we haven't, we, you know, I haven't had a, a you know, a, a really good test on that just two games in. So I might, I mean, the, the idea that they're going to be able to tackle this guy and catch this guy, uh, is, is a concern. There's no question about it. So, and he, he, when he does hit the edge, he's pretty quick. We've seen him, seen him on film. So it's, it's a, it's a Jonathan Taylor worry ward thing with me because he could go off on Michigan and if, and that's a bad scenario. Uh, if any, you know, if that happens,
0: yeah, here's junior quarterback, Jack Cohn. though. I mean, he's combined for 563 he, yards he through his first good. two games.
2: He was another guy. I go, Oh my God, they got an unproven quarterback. <laughs> Once again, two games, marginal talent. But I'm telling you what, just the, the optics of the South Florida game. That was, I think that was on a Thursday night or Friday night. Um, first, you know, every day weekend. And I got, and I, I, to be honest with you, I thought. I thought whiskey was going to be in a in a dogfight because once again I'm profiling Wisconsin. Oh, they're going down there to Tampa and they they won't have the speed and all this stuff and it'll be hot and I thought that was going to be a you know competitive game. What did it end up? Forty two nothing. I mean that's crazy. I never saw that coming. That got my attention week number one.
0: Yeah, 49-0 actually win 49. down there in Tampa against South Florida. And last week, a 61 nothing thumping of my alma mater, the Central Michigan yeah. Chippewas. This Badgers team is no joke. And, you know, we've seen this consistently under Paul Chris since he's gone to Madison with Wisconsin. He does it his way. He does it consistently. You mentioned the recruiting. I mean, it's not as easy to recruit in Wisconsin as it is. At Ohio State, but they get the hogs on the offensive line. They have studs up front. They win battles in the trenches. And I think that is why this is just such a difficult test, Tom, for these Michigan Wolverines who are very athletic and they have good size themselves. But for some reason, these corn fed, cheese fed badgers up front, it is a daunting task.
2: Well, you know, Wisconsin's had this crazy formula since the Rondane. Ron you know, remember that many, 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 many moons ago? They've had a huge offensive line and one hell of a running back like every year. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it, how they manage that blows me away. They always have a feature back that, it, you know, is all Big Ten, he ends up in the NFL. And blah, blah, blah. The same thing. Now, you know, people say, oh, everybody's going away from power football and it's RPO and all that stuff. I'll tell you what, Wisconsin's not going to have to because they got it They got it down to a science of getting these linemen and coaching these linemen, and it's effective. And I, I wouldn't change. And that's you know what the other thing is? It's an identity thing. They know who they are. I don't think Michigan – this is the same thing I talked to Howard Griffith last year, midseason. we had him on the show. He couldn't. He he didn't think Michigan knew what its identity was two-thirds of the way through the season. Right. You know. I mean, you got to figure that out, and you got to be decide what you're going to be. And I don't know if Michigan knows what it wants to be. I'm telling you what, though. Ryan is that when I when I see Shea Patterson, he's got to watch Justin Fields play football and actually sell the defense on that RPO, and not you know just pull it out you know five feet. Or five yards from the nearest guy, you got to get people to commit. I mean, that, that, that's a whole nother discussion. What's going on at Ohio State? But Shea Patterson is miles behind Justin Fields in build, ability to to run the RPO two games in.
0: Uh, Tom, I love that you brought that up because you and I both watching that Ohio State uh, just uh, shellacking uh, of Indiana was a clinic. Total. And Fields was a big part of that. And I want to go back to, we just touched on it, but in more detail, the Shea Patterson comic, because I think it it reveals so much. And I want to get your take on the return of Donovan Peoples-Jones, the return of John Runyon, how much as part of that offensive matrix does that matter for Shea Patterson? Does that give him confidence? Is it psychological? Is this lurking presence of Dylan McCaffrey over his shoulder? Is that a good thing for Shea? Is that a bad thing for Shea? Where do you gauge his mental focus, his toughness right now, the comment that he made? Where is Shea Patterson right now heading into Camp Randall?
2: I think the only thing that concerns me is his physical health. I think it's good, 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 good all the way through. I think competitiveness at quarterback uh, looking over your shoulder is a good thing. I mean, I've flipped a little bit back and forth on that. But if Shea can't run this team, you got Dylan McCaffrey who's got great legs. And I'm not talking about a a, a runway model. I'm talking about a guy who can run the football. (laughs) And I really think that they should not hesitate, unlike the Army game, uh, uh, putting Dylan McCaffrey in because he can threaten that defense with his legs. I mean, with those second and third level guys at Wisconsin on the defense are going to have to think about that much more than they will sh- with Shea, okay? And the other thing, Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to make a lot of good uh, quarterbacks feel more comfortable as well as having your left tackle, John Runyon Jr. back there too to protect you on, on the back side. So, I think that's huge. And yet, it's the first game for John Runyon. So, I mean, there's concerns about that element.
0: Talking number 11, Michigan, number 13, Wisconsin. Big early season, Big Ten matchup at high noon Eastern time on Fox. A great story, and I want to get Tom's take on this as well. Courageous comeback of Ambry Thomas in the backfield. Doctors were telling him, you know, he would be done for the year with colitis. That would not be the case. And here's Ambry telling the story in his own words.
1: They told me a lot. They told me uh, what was going on with my stomach. And they told me, like, my chances, like, playing this season were slim to none. Like, all the doctors said that, like, I was the only one on my own side. Like, nah, I'm playing this season no matter what. They're pretty impressed with my case. They said they've never seen anything like it. And they're just really, like... Just really happy how like I dealt with everything, being in the hospital, just sitting in the hospital bed for like a month, um, it was bad, but I got through it. How much weight did you lose? Like 35 pounds. I got down a lot in the hospital. How'd you get back? Just working out, eating a lot, and that's all it was too, just doing extra stuff to get my body back right. Like when I wasn't here, me and my father and my brother, we were working out at the Planet Fitness, so I was always doing. Something to get back. What how do you had to change your diet? Um, not much, honestly. Um, I just know like certain stuff I can and can't eat, but it's like it's not the end of the world.
0: So when you hear that, Tom, you sent me that audio clip. This young man, everything that he's been through, and and what he means to this team. Uh, what does it tell you?
2: Well, I mean, that dude is resilient. When you have doctors telling you. When you have a doctor, which is a, 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 a medical doctor has an, has an air about him, right? Authority figure, you know, um, but when and we have multiple doctors telling him, uh, you're not going to see the field this year, most people will start believing that right when they hear those words, they'll just check out. I mean, but this kid out of MLK Detroit is, is a special kid. When you lose 35 pounds and you're trying to work, I mean, a football player losing weight Is not good, especially when you're in the secondary. And you know, I mean, you're Mm -hmm. you're lean anyway, um, and and you have to be physical in the Big Ten. You're bringing guys down. That kid is at another level of resilience. I admire what he's done.
0: I look at ourlands.com for comprehensive depth charts, and they're usually very good, very up to date, very accurate. I don't see him on the depth chart as of right now. What is his status for Saturday, Tom? Do you know?
2: I don't know. I, I, I mean, he played the first two games. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I haven't heard anything. I mean, I wouldn't even, you know, these depth charts, especially when it deals with Michigan. <laughs> um. I would, I would just ignore, to be quite honest. Well, I what, mean, Michigan. If, if,
0: Jim Harbaugh ahead. doesn't put depth charts out. Is that still the rule?
2: Yeah. No, he doesn't. But he, but he, he, he does indicate, uh, you know, that there's a possibility of so and so. No. Yeah. He's not gonna. He doesn't tip his hand. Jim Harbaugh <laughs> looks at the game of football Is anything that comes out of my mouth, uh, is there anything that's going to hurt my chan- uh, team's chances of, uh, of winning? Mm-hmm. And, and he, he strongly feels that if you give the opposition a clear-cut heads up of who's playing, then he's not doing his team a, a service. That's just the way he rolls.
0: You know, we talked to Jim Branstadter last week, and he was all about Aiden Hutchinson and the legacy and his father, of course, being a legendary Michigan player and what that does in carrying it forward and building what you were talking about, Tom, an identity that Michigan didn't have maybe two-thirds of the way through what was a very successful season until their final two games. The story of Ambry Thomas, the developing story of Aiden Hutchinson, when you look at this Michigan team and what their identity could be? How much do these two individuals contribute to that? And what does a story like Ambry Thomas do for a team's morale and spirit?
2: Wow, that's a really good point, Ryan. Because a lot of times, when you when you have these winning teams, and, and Michigan hasn't won a Big Ten championship from 2004, there's always these you know kind of heart wrenching storylines or uh, of of resiliency, which I keep referring to mm-hmm. of of kids you know overcoming things and making comebacks and you know, what they did in the offseason together. And those are two great examples. And when you – I'll tell you what, anybody has had a chance to talk to Aiden Hutchinson, um, whether it be media or just fans, whatever, this kid's a sophomore, man, but he, he, you feel like you're talking to a 25-year-old. He's way ahead of his years. Obviously, you can see his – you know, he, he's, he's a chip off the old block. Chris Hutchinson was a great football player, started. a D-line for Michigan. and. I still contend, Brian. I'm always whining about Michigan losses. If Chris Hutchinson would not have gotten hurt in the 1990, uh, 28, 27 loss to Michigan state, Michigan would have won by two touchdowns.
0: <laughs> what a shoulda coulda. That's Tom Crawford on the other end right here.
2: I'm always looking back on losses oh. and hutch, the big hutch that, 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 that was a big loss. And, uh, Michigan state just started going right over where his vacancy was and, uh, Uh, We had a terrific day and and an upset win.
0: To me, the obvious answer to the question I'm going to ask you is Shea Patterson. So I'm kind of doing a tribute to Alex Trebek here with the answer first. And here's the question. If you had to nail it down, the one guy that needs to stand out to perform, and, and maybe it's not Shea Patterson, but some guy maybe that the fans aren't thinking of front of mind awareness against a team like Wisconsin, who is that guy?
2: Well, I think it's is Zach Charbonnet, the the running back, I and mean, in that minute, when I say he's got to perform, he's got to get help from his friends up front. But I think he's got to get to the buck twenty five, buck forty range uh, running. Mm-hmm. They have they're going to have to have balance. Which whenever Michigan loses, like when any loop team loses, it, it's be, inability to run the football, especially in the Big Ten you got to run the football. I think Michigan State, when we we'll get to them, they couldn't run the football very effectively last week. I think that's why they lost to ASU. You've got to run the football, and that starts with Zach Jarbonet. He's the guy, and he's going to have to get, obviously, in three figures and beyond. I think, like I said, 125 to 140 would be nice.
0: All right, Tom, here we go. The current Vegas line has the Badgers favored by three and a half. So far, you are three and two on the season against the spread. I'm only two and three. So, I've got to follow your lead here hey, three, got
2: a one game lead you nice.
0: do yeah we're gonna work on that but three and a half point underdogs for Michigan is that fair do you prefer that
2: well I prefer it um I mean I, I mean people are bashing Michigan right now you go on any of these analysts they think oh they can't win in the road blah 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 um I think I think uh I think Michigan is 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 not only gonna cover I think they're gonna win out right and they're gonna win out right by one point I have 17 16 oh in a quirky game uh and, and not maybe as some people think it's going to be in the 20s I, th- I think it's 17 16 I think the defense is going to rain for some reason in this game even though it's going to be great weather hard hitting game um and that's how I had Michigan survive and obviously a fourth quarter decision
0: I disagree this is a Paul Chris team I think that might be different than any other he's had some great ones but he hasn't had this kind of balance on offense. We know what they can do on defense. I like Wisconsin to win and barely cover 24-20 Badger victory at Camp Randall. Here's the thing. I mean, like you said, Tom, the Wolverines are fighting history here. They have not fared well in Madison. They have lost their last four. They have not won there in 18 years. A final point on this from you, then, what makes you think they can do it for the first time in almost two decades?
2: you know oh keep in mind though they didn't they don't play every other year and and, uh, and that, that's a little deceiving they don't play and play Wisconsin every other year It's still like 11 old, matchups yeah it's still a lot and, and they were actually lucky in 2001 a, 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 a muff punt uh saved that game so they shouldn't have even won that game um, i i go back to their it's it's, it's bound to happen thing mm-hmm. um, and and i think i think Michigan is not going to go in there over-competent. And I think they've they've had their scares here. I mean, obviously, the Army game, and I don't think they played exceedingly well against Middle Tennessee State. So I think they're, with a bye week, I think they're flat out due, uh, you know, to to make a statement. So we'll go 180. We'll go complete on that. And I think they're going to make a statement. and It's just flat out. And they're going to do it in a heroic fashion. Maybe... Maybe a a Jake Moody field goal right near the end.
0: Making a statement is exactly what Shea Patterson said they were going to do. Wolverines did have the bye week to build up, to prepare, to get healthy with DPJ and Runyon. So what Tom and I agree on, it'll be a very close game. And again, you can watch it high noon on Fox on your local affiliate. Once again, the Great Lakes Divide podcast is brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Our good friend Heather Ferrari picking out some music specifically for Tom, the funk the soul bringing it for Tommy C and you can buy it all on vinyl at the record lounge. They've got expanded selection, expanded space. Now in the Rio town marketplace, that's South Washington, just South of I four ninety six in Lansing. If you're there for a Michigan state tailgate, heck if you work in the Capitol, if you work around Lansing, you got to check this place out. There is no other place like it. It is one of a kind, the record lounge in Rio town. Turning the page to Michigan State, and similarly to Michigan and Wisconsin, this is a team in the Wildcats the Spartans have struggled against. It's been one of their Achilles heels. They have lost three in a row to Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern, and it won't get any easier this Saturday. High noon start, ABC, Ryan Field. There are a lot of Michigan State alum that will be in attendance. But we start off with sound from Mark D'Antonio, his press conference this week, about the offensive line, attrition. It's been a theme the last few years. They cannot stay healthy. Why? Don't know. But even when they are healthy, the starters have not performed well. They've been knocked back on their heels, as Tom would say, on their asses, more often than not. And the question I have been asking throughout this entire thing, I mean, I know the redshirt rule has changed for college football, and a freshman can play in up to four games, still redshirt get that fifth year. And is that the idea they had for Devonte Dobbs, we'll get to him in a moment, but here's Mark D'Antonio talking about the fact now that three freshmen are now listed as second stringers. And if you uh, count Jacob Asaya as well, that's four. He's a redshirt freshman listed as second stringers on the depth chart. Here's Mark D'Antonio.
3: You know, all three of those freshmen have been working with the twos and have been up with the twos and have been exclusively working on the second unit and we've, what we've done is spread the other guys around on the first unit and had them playing different different positions. So uh, I think those guys are prepared and whether they play this week or not uh, will remain to be seen depending on how we're planned, depending on injuries, uh, things of that nature. But all three of those guys uh, have been up with us really throughout the whole month of August. And um, and then it's September here, so they're they're getting ready. You know, it's just a little bit of time on the offensive line.
0: So it brings me to my opening question for you, Tom. As much as Brian Lewerke's been herky-jerky, hit or miss, some bad decisions a year ago. I think a lot of that's been offensive line play that has pressured him into bad decisions. Receivers don't have time to get open because there's no protection. Running backs don't have lanes to run through because they're not being created by an offensive line. That to me has been the core issue and problem for this program now going back almost five years. So I'll ask you this to start. Should experience alone dictate starting status and playing time? Is that important for team morale and chemistry? Or should it be strictly on ability? And even if a freshman doesn't have the experience, that they've got the raw talent, is offensive line a place where you can start a freshman that that, that is that green?
2: Well, historically in college football, Ryan, you know, I've said this many a time. I mean, it's the toughest position to learn for a young guy, young kid out of high school, where all he did was just, you know, just mull people down. Um, to 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 be an effective offensive line at early age. But Michigan State now is it's it's about it's about productivity. I mean, these guys, if you if you can't move anybody, I mean, it's just a, a Chinese fire drill out there too. We saw the twelve men on the field. I mean they have got they've got to figure out this offensive line thing down. I, I, I true I, I couldn't agree with you more ability to run the football is is what has shocked me about Michigan State this year. They used to be a team that could run the damn ball mm-hmm. and they're not even that good at throwing the ball um, and then and, and the penalties we've talked about I mean they, they had the double digit penalties game one they went back to like two against Western now they went back to 10. I mean, so you better figure out that penalty thing uh, real quickly because you're going to go ahead and a whole pack of trouble against a decent Northwestern team.
1: But I'm
2: I, i, I I'm feeling Sparty in this game, Ryan, for a lot, a lot of reasons. They've got to be so freaking pissed off what happened against ASU. Once again, I'll go back to their do thing. Mm-hmm. Ron, you know, Ryan Field there, uh, named after your first name, uh, <laughs> right. is a um, forever visiting team. you got half a stadium right there. Yep. And Michigan State has a huge uh, alumni base in Chicago. My daughter's going to be there. I mean, both my daughters are going to be there. So, I mean, it's um, it's going to be like a home field advantage. The weather's going to be good. I, I I think Michigan State is going to have uh, – we'll get into the scores later on, but yeah. I, this is a double-digit win for Michigan
0: State. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. We're, we're gonna get into predictions later, like you said, but uh-huh. weird, crazy, stupid, wild things happen to the Spartans against these Wildcats and particularly at Ryan Fields. So I'm not exactly buying what you're selling. Going back to the offensive line, should youth be served? In my opinion, absolutely. And here's why. The resume is out there. It's baked into the cake. Tyler Higby, Luke Campbell, Jordan Reed. They have all been, at best, to be kind, mixed bags. At worst, they have been terrible. They have been awful over this last year, and now we're three games into this season. You know what you know, and I'll say this too. Matt Allen, not as good as his two predecessor brothers who were both stalwarts on the Michigan State line. The one guy I would go back to a year ago of the starting five who I thought most games was okay was Kevin Jarvis, and he suffered a serious injury against Arizona State. Here's Mark Dantonio with an update on that.
3: That'll probably be a six, to, probably six to seven week injury. So I would expect him to be back by Penn State or, uh, or uh, for sure in November. So he's not a season lost guy, but he's, you know, he's out right now. So I thought it would be, you know, pertinent not to have him on the depth chart.
0: So another big loss out six to seven weeks. Kevin Jarvis, this offensive line, the starters that are listed, I'll just go right through them at left tackle. Tyler Higby, not a big fan. Luke Campbell, left guard. Again, very inconsistent. Matt Allen at center, still have yet to, I think, reach his potential. Matt Carrick, he's just a redshirt sophomore at right guard. At right tackle, Jordan Reed, this guy, I'm sorry, but he's been a turnstile. So you got Nick Samak, you got Jacob Asaya, he's got a a history, a family history at Michigan State. You got JD DuPlain, but here is the big one. And that is five star left tackle Devontae Dobbs. And Mark <laughs> D'Antonio was asked specifically about okay, you got Tyler Higby here. You got Devontae Dobbs. You finally bumped him up. You're listing him as second string. What's the deal here? And when does that change take place, if at all? Here's Mark D'Antonio on Higby versus Dobbs.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it's knowledge based. You know, I think that uh, it's knowledge based and youth based combination of both. And I thought Higby went in there and played pretty pretty well from everything that, it, that was given to me and indicated to me. <clears throat> so, he's first man up, but uh, I would expect for Dobbs to possibly play. And, uh, you know, he's got to get ready to play, so there'll be a little bit more sense of uh, urgency, maybe, is what I would say. You know, when you're playing, it's different. When you get in the game, all of a sudden, everything becomes a little bit more important in practice. So, you know, we're going to push the issue there a little bit, especially on the depth chart, so that they understand that. We've not listed them on the depth chart in that capacity because um, we just haven't. But they've worked there as the twos, like I said, so they should be ready to go. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out.
0: Now, Tom, all we've been hearing, and I think it's legit hype, is that this, Devontae Dobbs, is the next Flozell the Hotel Adams. That's been (laughs) the comp. That's been the comparison. So what I'm asking then is, what is it going to take if if he's now decided, he he just said in that clip, Dobbs going to play. So you're three games in, you're going to play him in the fourth game. Presumably you're going to play him more than four games this year. You're not going to redshirt him. Why not start him? Throw him into the fire. Let's see what he can do. Why is Higby even starting at this point?
2: Oh, I don't, you know, I I have no clue. I mean, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, we've been hearing about this kid when he verbaled like two years ago that this, you know, Tony Mandrich. Why? Throw any name out you want to. Uh, he was going to be that dominant of offensive lineman. Michigan State needed. You know they had great linemen a few years ago, uh, but they don't right now. I would too. What do you got to lose? I mean, put him in there for a couple of series. See how he does. Things don't work out. Counter with hit beat. Just go that way. I don't know, but I'm not a coach, and and I I don't. You, you got to watch what's going on in practice. We don't know what's going on in practice. Maybe he's missing assignments in practice. And, may, you know, may, if that's the that's the case, uh, then, you know, he shouldn't play.
0: But isn't this more a case, and we, we've seen this, I mean, from a lot of coaches, successful coaches, I would say Bo Schembechler, certainly George Perlis, the old school guys, and I think I would put Coach D'Antonio in that category, and I mean that in a lot of ways, with affection. I love old school guys, Lloyd Carr being another, that they reward they're upperclassmen. They're juniors and seniors. They paid their dues. They work through the system. They know the system. They have familiarity. They have experience. But Tom, what happens when they just don't have the talent?
2: Well, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, you compete for your job in practice in football every day. I mean, that's what good coaching staffs do. If you're not getting it done in practice, you got to win the practice. So um I I don't, you know, I don't care if the guy's been around. For multiple years, if he's not the best, what you're trying to do is, is to, to line up your 22 guys and all your your special teams, the 22 best guys that give you the best chance to win the football game. And I can't believe that Mark D'Antonio is not doing that. I mean, he should be doing it. So I'm not, you know, my whole theory is don't get caught up in allegiance. I mean, Mm -hmm. seniors are not getting the job done. Sit their ass down. That's my opinion.
0: I'm going to take a brief aside here. We're going to get to a very long and I think important soundbite from Coach D'Antonio about kind of the state of the union with Michigan State. But I want to touch on a topic here, Tom, about the officiating in the game against Arizona State. The Pac-12 issued a statement, a correction, basically what amounts to an apology about the missed call at the end of the game that should have been leaping by Arizona State on the field goal attempt that was missed by Matt Coggan, we're talking about the second one because he made the first one, but Michigan State had 12 guys on the field, and that was a joke, and that was a crime, but he should have gotten what it would amounted to, to be a third attempt at the field goal. This is an admission of the Pac-12. I don't want to go into conspiracy theories. I do think that subconsciously there might be an inherent bias for referee with a team from their own conference that they they're more familiar with, they've seen before, they know the ins and outs. Michigan State's this foreign entity. Why is it not a rule in college football that, let's say, Big Ten Michigan State plays Pac-12 Arizona State that the officials be from, say, the Big Twelve? Why and how would Pac-12 officials be officiating this game?
2: Uh, I, I'm clueless on that. And we talked about that last week. I mean, you take the same approach that you do in bowl games, which are the um, bowl games are the ultimate. Interconference conference play. You know, you, you match up two teams from two different conferences and you let them play in a nice site and you want to make sure you have a neutral, you want to have a neutral uh, officiating crew. My God, these, these, these uh, power five going against power five, which we're yearning to have happen uh, more often than we do, as opposed to beating up little sisters of the poor, if you will, mm-hmm. you have two power fives going at on home and homes like Arizona state did, Michigan state. You, Exactly. You get somebody from the Big Twelve, I don't, or the ACC, uh, or the SEC. I don't. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But I don't even care. If you get somebody from the MAC. Yes. Just get somebody in there that 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 doesn't have that, that affiliation. I think you're right. I think th- there's a subconscious element, or maybe they might be forgiving of certain tendencies of certain teams. I'm right with you on that. That's that's absolute stupidity.
0: What it does. By going with our theory, Tom's and mine, it removes the appearance of impropriety, whether it be there or not. Yeah, it, it removes that doubt, an element.
2: Absolutely, no question. So uh, that's so we're on the same page on that
0: one. Yeah, Fred Human, I believe, Channel Six asked Coach D'Antonio about that, and he basically said, "If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas." He he didn't care. He goes, "Unless they were going to give us a forfeit."
2: Well, I know it's, you know, and Fred makes those statements, you know, those questions to get that at the end of the conference, you know, to get him to run on an issue, it, you know, in that situation. But, uh, hey Liz, Liz, listen, why doesn't Fred Human ask him about the other scenarios of what happened? There were larger issues than, I mean, obviously that was a big deal, that no call there. But, you know, if I'm Fred Human or the other media people, I'm not talking about you know, that, I'm not making a big deal of, of that anymore. Maybe you do that on Saturday. My God, let's start really probing into some of those other miscues by the Michigan State coaching staff not having a spy in their quarterback at fourth and 13. You know, trying to figure out how, how that defense that is. My God, this historic defense, if you will, can let up a 75-yard drive at winning time. Winning time. I couldn't believe that part. And all, also, all the, the, the miscues offensively that Michigan State did, the penalties, the 12 men on the field, blah, 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 blah. I mean, yeah. there were more issues of that game than, than a, a Pac-12 of official screwing up a, somebody or not ragging a guy for climbing over somebody's back.
0: You know what you just did, Tom? You provided me the perfect segue because that's where we're going with this extended bite from head coach Mark D'Antonio. He talks about accountability across the board. What is going wrong? Why is it going wrong? How is it going wrong? What is he going to do to fix it? Can it be fixed? What explains the issues, the lack of product productivity on offense, the defensive letdown, and the thing that he's really still hung up on, and you'll hear it in this bite, Tom, is
3: fourth and 13. Here it is. Well, we need to be more productive. We need to score more points. I think we crossed the 57 times. We had, I think, seven. i I'm not, Don't quote me on the number of drives with eight-plus plays, but over four. Which is always your goal. We had explosive plays, which is your goal. We only turned the ball over one time, but it was a crucial turnover. It was in question, I guess, but you know it is what it is. Um, But um, but you got to be productive. You got to make your field goals and give you at least three nine more points. Um, You got to drive the ball in in the red zone and and push it push it in for touchdowns. Uh, And then on the flip side of things, you know, you got to play well on fourth and thirteen. Get off the field on 4th and 13, hey, we're just talking about 10 to 7. We won a national championship winning games 10 to 9, 14 to 10, 13 to 9. So, it, you know, it's all grouped together. Everything's grouped together. It's not one dimensional thing that says, oh, this is wrong completely. You know, when people have an opportunity to make a play or coach for a play, including myself, and I hold myself ultimately responsible, okay, then you've got to make the play. And credit number five, he made a play. But there were some things on that particular play on fourth and 13 that could have been prevented. And, uh, you know, but the decision was made to play that particular defense at that particular time, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, Same thing could be said about the field goal. Um, Same thing could be said about whether to take a shot at the end of the game. Believe me, I'm trying to do everything I can. I'm out there with a stopwatch. Every single pass play yesterday, timing every single pass play. You know but there's a lot of different things that can happen on those past plays that, w- that would lend you to to say oh if you got sacked or you know balls caught in bounds you know you're not going to get another playoff so there's a lot going on there but you're trying to prevent the things that can be prevented but it's all inclusive there's there is no one thing that you can say oh that is ultimately the reason why we lost this football game you can sit there and say we needed to score more points that's that's sort of yeah, I think that's elementary, sort of. you got to score more than they score. But you could also make the case that, you know, fourth and 13 on the 25 out of 10 times, how many are you going to stop them with our defense? You can make that case, too. So there's enough responsibility to go around. And uh, we'll take responsibility for that, and I will take responsibility. But there's a lot of things to fix, and it's game to game. Just like there's a lot of things you can point towards and say, that was good, and that's game to game too. But um, you're, just trying to, you're just trying to coach it up. But the main thing that I guess the main message that I have is we're going to coach, coach them up, and we're going to make sure that uh, we coach with energy this week. We're going to make sure that everybody's all in with energy, and we're going to come to play. That's the first thing we have to do.
0: And that's what I keep coming back to. I mean, you can blame the offense and they deserve it. You can blame the special teams and they deserve it. Matt Co- Gogolin has not been himself of late. But this defense had a chance on a high percentage play. I mean, look at the math. If you just broke it down analytically on the success rate for any team, any team at the college level on fourth and 13, what do you think that percentage would be? That uh, Arizona's.
2: Terrible. I mean, I yeah. don't know. Do you, do you know what it is?
0: I don't. I'm, I'm. just. It's a hypothetical. I didn't look up the number. What I'm saying is 85% I'll throw out there, even maybe higher on fourth and 13, the offense doesn't get it, but they got it on a scramble where the spy didn't spy. It was like spies like us with Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase. That was a, a joke, a comedy of errors that Arizona state was able to pick up that first down. And coach D'Antonio talked about that. He also talked about, you know, well, if the offense is going to stink, you know, and this margin for error for the defense is a sliver, well, what do you do? What's your expectation of this defense? I thought his answer was
3: surprising. Yeah, be perfect. That's the challenge. Be perfect. We gave up one deep ball, um, you know, on the thirty-five. One deep ball puts them down in the, on the twenty-five, and that's difficult to stomach because that's that's, uh, that's may seem unfair. But you know you got to play every play, and everybody's got to. That's it's a team game, and you can't you can't sit there and say what if and if if only because that separates people, and we don't want to separate people. Ultimately, this is a team game, and you win and lose together, and so that's and that's what we have to do. Um, but yeah, you got to play perfect. And I just said about just said you know we won a national championship at Ohio State by winning close games, low scoring games, so it can be done. We must do things like that to win, and that's what we'll do. But, you know, we're going to do what we got to do, and the only thing that I've ever asked from our players is to compete, play hard, and play courageously. And that's what we're going to do. And I don't see any, any indication that we're not doing that. What he said there, Tom, was that they have to be perfect.
0: They have to be perfect in their preparation. They have to be perfect in their game planning, in their practicing in their execution, on every play. And when you let up, I'm not saying they didn't give an effort, but when you mentally let up, they did, on 4th and 13, and you let them convert, I'm sorry, but the defense failed. And it's it, that's tough. That is a harsh judgment for one of the best defenses in America, Tom. But, I mean, Coach D'Antonio said it. They have to be perfect. And is that as much an indictment of the offense as it is pressure on the defense?
2: Okay. Does this have 2012 written all over it? <laughs> yeah, it really
0: does. It really does. I mean,
2: I mean, it really. I mean, it really, really does. Because that defense had to be perfect, because the offense sucked, and it was a heck of a defense in 2012. I thought. I felt bad for those kids, but I, look, I'm telling you something. This, um, yeah, I, I, I try to fix that offense. I don't know what you. I don't know what you got to do, but it's really, early in the season. And supposedly there's stuff um, the players are saying, oh, we, you haven't seen, there's a lot of stuff you haven't seen, but you better start showing it. Because October 5th and October 12th, you're playing two really, really good teams, one in particular in Ohio State and then in Wisconsin. And you better get, you, you better get honing all your skills well before then and get your toolbox out and, and start executing plays or else you're going to get blown out both games.
0: Tom, look, okay, I'm not buying it. We're, we didn't show anything. You have an offense that has sucked for the better part of a year and a half, and you're going to hide plays? You're going to hold them yeah. back? You're not going to let it all hang out and say, we're going to figure this out. We're going to well, do to, it.
2: I knew, exactly. Well, you had to. You can't. might as well not hold it back. I mean, you're up against the wall losing to an unranked Arizona State team that's now suddenly ranked, and you're unranked. Tom, 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 Tom,
0: Tom, there's nothing to hold back is my point here is that you have to score points. If that means you expose yourself to everybody in the conference, every play that you have in your playbook, every right. trick in your bag, if that's what it takes right now, with all of the criticism of Dave Warner last year, of Bowman, now Brad Salem, jobs that should have been on the line, jobs that were not taken away, decked, you know. Chairs on the Titanic that were shuffled around. You you don't hold back anything in the playbook. That is absolutely patently ridiculous if Michigan State issues that statement. And and yeah, I get pretty worked up about it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Northwestern, of course, we've talked about has been an Achilles heel for Michigan State. The Wildcats have won the last three meetings. The more concerning part, and, and this is what really confuses me, Northwestern has done it, winning these last three games by scoring, get this, an average, an average of 40 points a game in those three games against Michigan State. However, flip side of the coin, fifth-year senior quarterback TJ Green, he could be out for the year with a foot injury, he's had surgery on that. That turns the quarterback spot over to redshirt sophomore Hunter Johnson, who was shaky against UNLV, not exactly a defensive powerhouse. He was under 50% completing passes, 12 of 25, had a touchdown and a pick. He did run it 11 times for 55 yards and a touchdown. So he's got some wheels. Senior wide receiver, Bennett Skowronek, that guy scares me to death. I mean, he was a nightmare for Michigan State last year. However, this is a a Northwestern team that lost to Stanford 17 to 7. Okay, follow me on this, Tom. So they only scored seven points against Stanford. Stanford, in its following two games, has given up 45 points each to USC and UCF. Now, those are two pretty good teams, but Northwestern only scored seven against what looks to be a very bad Cardinal defense. What is the Northwestern offense versus Michigan State defense? What does that look like to you?
2: That looks really, really bad. I mean, for Northwestern. <laughs> right. If you want, I mean, that, Northwestern's not a very good football team. I, I, I saw a good, decent amount of the tape of, of UNLV and Northwestern. And I'm actually going to go the other side of the ball. I mean, UNLV is a bad football team. Okay. <laughs> and they ran the ball for over, like, I mean, this, you know, Patty Fisher, all these great, you know, Northwestern's defense, they, they got over 200 yards, I think, rushing. And so I think Northwestern's got problems on both sides of the ball, Mm -hmm. which is why I have Michigan State winning this game relatively easy.
0: Now, i got to stop you right there because I looked at the point spread for this and my eyes nearly fell out of my head that the Spartans on the road against a team whom they've lost to three straight times. Doesn't matter. Nine and a half point favorites, Tom, that's a lot of points to cover on the road for an offense that has been anemic and you still think the Spartans are going to do it.
2: Yeah, because Northwestern's offense can't move across the street either. <laughs> and, then, and and the other thing is that I think Michigan State will be able to run the football against Northwestern much more effectively than they did against ASU. And And so, I mean, I, you know, I mean, this, this is, I have never been. More competent in wow. picking Michigan State to, oh. to you know, break this three year jinx. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not caught up into uh, unless it's Michigan Ohio State. Right. right. <laughs> I'm not caught up in the thing. Um, I got to see it to believe. It. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's going to happen. Saturday. Final
0: score from you. Final score.
2: Well, you know, I, I I had it 24-10 Michigan State, but just in the last five minutes, it just they scored another touchdown.
0: <laughs> Michigan State
2: did. Yeah, they scored thirty-one ten, Michigan State.
0: All right, not sure what you're smoking, but I'm the one here in Colorado. <laughs> I guess they just legalized pot in Michigan too. But uh, I don't, I don't see it. I, I don't see nine and a half. I, I think this is going to be a, uh, it's going to be a bizarre game. Some weird crap is going to happen. It always does against Northwestern. It shouldn't, but it does. If you remember, I think the biggest comeback in college football history was by Michigan State at Northwestern. Yeah. Remember that? 35.
2: Yeah, that thirty-five. Come. When Drew Stanton it was Drew Stanton quarterback, yeah, I believe
0: then. that yeah. it was a nuts game. It's gonna be nuts. It's gonna be nuts. Yeah. And I think Michigan yeah. State wins, but they do not cover. I got Spartans uh-huh. twenty, Wildcats seventeen.
2: Uh, you're wrong. You're
0: wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Tom. I mean, I am. Uh, it, it's Missouri time, and what I mean by that is, show me. I need this offense to show yeah. me, to show us, yeah. to show the whole Spartan fan base that. They're back. They're for real. They're consistent. You mentioned running the ball. Eli Collins. Eli's coming. He has to be (laughs) the feature back, the bell cow, the guy. I don't want to see Connor Hayward, all due respect, on fourth and one ever again. Ever. Ever. I I am riding Elijah Collins into the sunset like Clint Eastwood on a horse in a Spaghetti Western.
2: No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, he looks like their guy for the next four years. They got their guy. Mm-hmm. But they gotta get an offensive line to to you know to drill holes for this guy. So they got to work on that. Uh but you know, I I, I think I think they're gonna be able to run the football. I I really do. And uh I you know, they're, they're I mean, come on, Michigan State has gotta be they're gonna be spitting nails going down there up there to Evanston.
0: Should be. Should have been spitting nails last week against an Arizona state team that had beaten them yeah. the year before, too. Tom, you said the exact same thing.
2: It's true. I know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On that note, a reminder, unfortunately, I'm going to be doing a lot of flipping here. I know Tom won't be as much, but these are both noon starts, okay? So Michigan ranked 11th at Wisconsin, number 13. That's a noon start on Fox. Michigan State at Northwestern, neither team is ranked right now. That's a noon start on ABC. Tom, final thought.
2: Uh, final thought that uh, both Michigan and Michigan State will be will be talking about victories for our our, t- our you know our teams uh, and and I actually think they're going to be the best wins of the year in terms of overall quality of play both sides of the ball even that western michigan game was standing for michigan state
0: I wish I shared Tom's enthusiasm on either side but as you heard earlier I think Wisconsin wins and I think Michigan State I'll pick them to squeak one out, but I don't feel really good about it. So that'll do it for us from here for now for Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling. The funky sounds that you hear as we go out are brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Our good friend Heather Frary suggesting these, trying to pick these teams back up. And especially, she's a Michigan State fan, but she loves Tom Crawford's taste in music, as do I. Until next time, everybody, enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you again on Sunday.